Well, good morning once again, church. Let's uh, continue on in worship as we begin, well, kind of begin, Pastor Craig uh, started it last week, but as we uh, begin this new series, it didn't have a name last week, so it was, uh, it was the beginning of a series that didn't have a name. Now it does have a name, a series called Jesus and the Kingdom of God. I am so excited uh, for what we are going to be undertaking over the next uh, several months. And as you're turning there, I want to thank Pastor Craig for uh, preaching last week. I was, where are you, Pastor Craig? There, there you are. I want to thank Pastor Craig uh, for preaching last week. Uh, always so grateful for the times when I can just come to church and worship with uh, my church family and sit under a solid biblical uh, teaching that's going to uh, both convict me and encourage me in the gospel, and that's exactly what happened last week. So thank you, Craig. And, uh, and uh, we are going to now be entering into an extended season in the gospel, specifically Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, where we are going to look at the life of Jesus in this series, as you can see on your screen, that is called Jesus and the Kingdom of God. And we have a lot to get to this morning, so please bow your heads with me because I don't want to get to it without the Lord's help. So let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, God, um, thank you uh, for the privilege of lifting our voice to worship you. Your love is so far beyond what uh, we can fathom. You are so faithful, and you are so righteous. And so as we sing those things, Lord, we ask, ask that you would sink those truths deeper and deeper into our hearts. Lord, I ask uh, as we turn to your word now, continue uh, to turn to your word specifically in the gospel of Matthew this morning, I uh, just ask uh, that you would uh, work in our hearts in a mighty way. Help us to love you more. Help us to love Jesus more. Help us to be more like Jesus in the way that we live. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. Did I ask you to turn to Matthew yet? Did I say that? I didn't say it. Please turn with me in your Bibles. That's usually the first thing I say. I wonder what happened. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. And uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1, and we're just going to kind of be jumping around a little bit in the first four chapters of Matthew. So if you start in Matthew 1.1, that will be a great place to start. I was just uh, speaking with someone this week. We were reminiscing about... Uh, uh, 2020 and COVID and the pandemic and everything, and, and specifically about the one symptom back uh, several years ago that when you had this symptom, you knew that you had COVID, which was losing your sense of smell. Uh, how many of you had experienced that when you lost your sense of smell? A lot of us did, right? It's a weird feeling, isn't it? You go to, the, I don't know about, I had this experience, and uh, the time that I realized that I lost my sense of smell was I was in the shower, and I had uh, gotten, uh, uh, sorry, that's, that's it's not t TMI, but I'm just uh, this this new shampoo that I gotten for Christmas. It was like it's like a tea tree shampoo or something. It's like this really strong smelling thing, and so I was using it, and I was like, I'd used it before, and it sm smelled normal, and I use it like it's so weird, like. This go bad already, right? And you like take a deep whiff of it. It's like, oh, that's so strange. I can't. And then only like after thinking about it later, do you realize, oh my goodness, the problem isn't with the shampoo. The problem is with my ability to perceive it, what it actually smells like. And so uh, I don't know about for those of you who had this, but I had I lost my sense of smell, and it it was warped specifically. It wasn't gone, but it was it was warped for a long time. And things that I knew were supposed to smell and taste one way tasted completely 
completely different. In fact, to this day, uh, oranges, I still can't eat oranges without them tasting real weird to me. That's the only thing that, anyways, that's neither here nor there. But uh, when I was really going through it, I was like so desperate to get my sense of smell and taste back. And so I was spending all this time Googling what you can do. And I found out that you can do this thing called like scent training. I don't know if anyone did this or if it was desperate enough. But what you were supposed to do was order, get some essential oils that you know what they're supposed to smell like. And then, uh, what, so I got like lemon and lavender and I don't remember what else. And, and so, but, so I was reading and what you do is you hold a little bottle and you think really hard about what a lemon is supposed to smell like. You just picture it and you picture yourself smelling the lemon. And then you take a big whiff as you're thinking about it and you inhale and you, and you think, am I smelling lemon? And you like try to almost convince yourself that you're smelling what it's supposed to smell. And then you did it with lavender. and You're supposed to do it like five times a day for months, and they said there was a chance that it would get better, and I gave up after like two days, and, and, uh, and, and it neither, didn't, didn't work out. But eventually my smell came back, and Pastor Mike, why are you going on about all this? Here's why, is that um, I think that it is possible, you can think about this in your own heart, but I think it is possible to have that same kind of experience of losing your sense of the goodness of God, specifically who Jesus is. Because we should, and I always, I always stretch out metaphors way too far, so it's just something that's just true of me. You just have to go with it. I'm, I apologize. But, like, when you think about Jesus, right, and your relationship with him, like, we should be completely enthralled and captivated with him at all times. Like, when we inhale and breathe deeply of Christ, we should just be blown away by the magnificent aroma, right, that we experience and yet, if we're honest, sometimes when we breathe in deeply of Christ, like, we're just not getting anything. If that happens long enough, you might have that same experience that I had with the bottle of shampoo. What's wrong with the shampoo, right? Over time, if your senses dull to the beauty and majesty of who Jesus is, you will start to question if the problem isn't actually with him. You see what I'm saying? Maybe you experience this sometimes in your, in your Bible reading, right? You open God's word. Maybe you had great intentions of, of doing better with your Bible reading as the new year started, and you open the word, and you're like, man, I hear about all these people saying they get all these amazing things out of, out of reading their Bible, and I'm just not getting anything. And it's just me sometimes. I don't think so. Maybe you come to church, you see, you're surrounded by a bunch of people excited to worship God, and you're just like, my heart just feels dull right now. I don't know why. So I wonder if you've ever felt that way, and I wonder specifically if you are experiencing that a little bit right now. And if you are, that's okay. Because what I want us to do in this time in studying the life of Jesus is it's going to be almost like a re-sent training <laughs> for our spiritual lives. We are going to take time and we are going to wring everything we can out of the life of Jesus so that we can know him more. That is my hope for our time in this series because I was struck with this thought recently about my relationship with Jesus, which is what if we didn't have the Gospels and we didn't know anything about Jesus' life? Think about that for a second. Like, we have all the other letters. We know, like, if you know you've been saved, right? 
So you can have the knowledge in this thought experiment. You're a sinner. You had no hope. But somebody came and saved you. So if you just believe that, you go go to heaven and you'll be saved. But you don't know who he is. You don't know anything about him. Would your relationship with God be different? And if so, how? If I just said, you've got a Savior, just you should know that, right? And we come and we celebrate, yeah, we have a Savior. Praise the Lord, we have a Savior. And we should, we celebrate that every week, that we have a Savior, and that is a good and right thing to do. But we don't just have a a generic Savior. We have Jesus. And we need to know him. And if we don't know him, then our sense is going to be dull. And that is my goal. That's, my, that's just what I want in my heart. Like that's just, as we were going through Daniel, and I was just thinking about what was going to come after the new year. Like what do, we, what do I want? I want to know Jesus more. Can you relate to this? Like I just want to know him more. I want to know more about his life. I want to know more about what he did. I want to know more about who he was. I want to know more about why he came. I want to know more about his family and his friends and the people who followed him. I want to know more about the people he healed. I want to know more about what he taught. Like, I just want to know Jesus more. I hope you have that same desire. I was thinking, like, even just, like, like, Silly things like, why is it so much easier for me? I, if you ask me, Mike, who was the starting lineup on the 2013 uh, Michigan Wolverines Final Four basketball team, I could name it off like without thinking about it. He said, name the 12 disciples. I got to think about it a little bit more, right? That's, that's pathetic. We should know Jesus more than anything else. And we sh- if we don't, we should want to. And if we don't want to, we should want to want to, Okay? <laughs> And so that's really my goal if, if for the series, for our hearts. If you're in that place, you're like, I know I should want to know Jesus more. And I want this time to help you want to want to know Jesus. So that together we want to know Jesus. So that then we know Jesus more. Amen? Does that sound okay? So it's going to be, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be figuring this out as we go. Um, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I know we're going to spend time. We're not just going to go verse by the, verse through a, a gospel, uh, but we are just going to be picking out stories and episodes from Jesus' life. We're going to talk, too, about why we have four gospels. You ever think about that? That's a little bit strange, right? Why do I have four stories about Jesus' life at the beginning of the New Testament, and they're all a little different, and they're all kind of the same, and what's up with that? We're going to talk about that, right? Why do we have that? We're going we're to look at these stories of Jesus' life, and specifically, what makes up his kingdom. And so we're learning about Jesus and his kingdom. And to start that this morning, we're going to do something uh, very different in fact, I'm going to, you might have noticed this whiteboard up here. You might have noticed why it's up here. I'm going to do something a little different. And I'm going to actually use, I didn't practice wheeling this out. I should have. And go, go. So uh, here we go. We're going to use this whiteboard. I've never done this, uh, preaching while using a whiteboard. And it might go horribly wrong. So, and if it does, we'll just 
pretend that. Here I am already hiding behind there. It's not supposed to do that. It's supposed to go this way. We're just going to pretend like it didn't happen and we'll just move on, okay? But we're going to, I think this is going to be helpful to us. And so the AV guys are going to uh, be working as a filibuster a little bit. And we're going to try to put this on the screen so that, hey, how about that? As we write these things, uh, you're going to be able to see it. And I think as we practice it, it was easier when we didn't have blue light shining on it. So maybe if we can try to get that blue light off of it. But here's what we're going to do this morning. Now that's my filibustering is over. We are going to look at the Christmas story one more time. Trivia question. How many gospel accounts are in there? I already told you this one. How many gospel accounts are there in your Bible? How many stories? Yes, four. Very good. The, the Nichols family all raised their hand in the back row. I appreciate that, guys. I like that energy that you're bringing. Okay, how many of these gospel accounts uh, give us the Christmas story, the story of Jesus' birth? Two, somebody said two, that's right. Has anyone ever had it on, uh, just be honest, right? On Christmas morning, like I'm going to read the Christmas story to my family, and where is it? Uh, probably John, I don't know, you turn over to John, wait a second, it's not in there. Oh, maybe it's in Mark, you turn, oh, it's not in there either. It's, okay, Luke, there's where it is. So Luke and Matthew are the two uh, gospels that share the events of Jesus' birth. The other ones don't even have it. Why is that? We don't have time to get into that right now, but the, Luke and Matthew uh, are the two gospel accounts that... Um, have the story of Jesus' birth. Now, uh, over Christmas, we looked at the Gospel of Luke, and specifically, we saw the three hymns that were written about the arrival of Christ. And before, so my plan was that we we're just going to then kind of move on after Jesus' birth, and then Pastor Craig uh, uh, preached on the story of Jesus uh, uh, as an adolescent in the temple, and so the plan was just to move on from there, but we just, we just can't, okay? We got to go back, and we have to talk about the Christmas story from Matthew's perspective, because what Matthew is doing in his account of Jesus' birth is fascinating, and we need to see it if we're going to really start to understand who Jesus is and why we came. Okay, so look with me at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this is also an interesting thing, too, right? We have uh, the, the, the very first gospel in our New Testament is the gospel of Matthew, and the very first thing in it is what? A list of names. Many a New Year's resolution to read through the New Testament has been derailed by Matthew 1.1 and uh, the genealogy, right? Like, oof, we're, goodness, like, you're supposed to start off with a bang, Matthew, and really draw them in. Well, there's a lot to be mined from the genealogy, but we're not going to do it then. We're going to uh, maybe some other time, if the Lord wills, in the future. But we're not going to do that. But we do need to, to pay attention to that word, genealogy. Make a mental note. In fact, you can underline that word, genealogy. And then skip down to verse 18. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that word... If you have the ESV, that's what uh, I'm reading from. If, if, you don't, if you have a different translation, you probably have... It's pretty close, I would guess. But the word that we have for genealogy and the word that we have for birth are actually the same Greek word. And I'm going to do a little bit of a Greek lesson right here. It's be very brief. But it is this word. So we have this is a G sound and then an E. And then that V-looking thing is an N sound. And then another E. And then another N. And then that's an I. Wait, no, I messed it up. 
See, this is why I was nervous about doing this. This is an S, and then an I, and then another S. So G-E-N-E-S-I-S. What does that spell? Genesis. Very good. So we have, at the very beginning of Matthew, essentially, the, verse 18, the Genesis, the beginning of Jesus Christ, took place in this way. It's this idea of be- beginnings. Like, these are the things that were happening when Jesus Christ was genesis if you can make a verb out of that in English. And what does it say? Mary, a virgin, has life created in her womb by an act of whom? Specifically, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Question for you. I need a little bit more room here. Okay. Can you think of another time in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, when there was a sort of Genesis creation event that took place through an act of the Holy Spirit. Who was in Pastor David's Genesis class this morning? Y'all should get this one. What is it? The creation of the world, right? Genesis 1-1, page 1 of your Bibles. Genesis 1-1 and following, creation. What's Matthew doing? He's being very intentional here. He's saying, as we think about the birth of Jesus Christ, we need to remember, he wants you to call your attention all the way back to the very beginning. Can you guys read this okay? Maybe let's zoom in a little bit more. There we go. That's a nice little action shot right there. Okay. You guys read it okay? Not really? Zoom in a little more for the people in the back. There we go. Keep going. Nailed it. Awesome job, Noah. Okay. Here we go. We're just going on the fly. Like I said, if, if we never want to do this again, we'll just pretend this didn't happen and, and we'll move on. But it's gonna, I think it'll be worth it. Okay, so Matthew doesn't only want you to remember just this one event by calling your attention back to the creation story. What he's saying is essentially uh, he wants you to remember the entire story of Israel. And so let's talk about that. What happened after the creation? God created the world, perfect man and woman, uh, perfect relationship with God, dominion over uh, the uh, whole earth and the animals. And then uh, does it go well or does it go bad? How fast? Real fast, yeah, exactly. That's Genesis 3. In the fall. And so we have the fall. And uh, that's spoiler alert for all of you who are taking the Genesis class. It is about to go bad in just a couple of weeks. Things get worse. And then there's like, uh, right, the first murder. And that's not good, right? And then God says, well, uh, Maybe we'll start over here, and I'll just take the righteous, most righteous man on earth named Noah, right? And we will save him and his family. And, uh, and maybe if we start over with the most righteous person that there is, that all his offspring will then follow me and, and do what they're supposed to do. And how does that go? 
bad, right? There's some like weird stuff that happens after the, the flood, and, then, uh, and uh, then there's the Tower of Babel that happens after that, and so everyone's scattered all over the face of the earth, and so then what happens? God says, okay, maybe we'll try this again, and I'm not going to destroy the whole earth this time and all of creation, but instead, I'm going to choose a couple, an old, childless couple, Abraham and Sarah, their names eventually became, and uh, we're going to actually, I'm going to give them offspring, and I'm going to make a great nation out of them. And so we have Abraham and Sarah, and they become a people. And so what happens after that? Well, it, it, it kind of goes okay, but basically Israel grows and increases in number, and they find themselves where? Enslaved in Egypt. So they're enslaved in Egypt. And there's this guy named Pharaoh, and he's a little bit uh, intimidated by this growing number of strong Israelites. And so what does Pharaoh uh, say that has to happen to all these uh, Israelites? It's about the babies. Yeah, it's horrible, right? They kill all the babies. And so all the babies, all the, ch- uh, all the baby boys are killed. But there's this one who's miraculously saved. What's his name? Except for Moses, yeah. Remember the story of the basket and Pharaoh's daughter and he's uh, raised in Pharaoh's house and then eventually... He grows up, and uh, he does what? He leads Israel out of Egypt. What's that event called? The Exodus. Yep, you guys are doing great. So he leads Israel out of Egypt, and, uh, and okay, we're going to kind of, this is another reset, right? He's going to give them the law, and then they're going to be thankful that he saved them through the Red Sea, and uh, this is exactly how they're going to uh, relate to God, and it's all going to be great. And how does it go? Real bad. So what, what do they have to do? Where, do they have to? where does Israel have to go? Yeah. For how long? As I'm running it down? Too long, yeah. Forty years, and part of the, there we go. Part of the problem is you can't read my handwriting. Sorry about that. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness, and that's not a ton of fun. And then that 40 years of wandering is up, and Moses is about to die, and so he gives his final sermon to the people of Israel. And what he does is he reiterates the law, which is the book of Deuteronomy. Deutero meaning two, nami meaning law, essentially. Second law. He gives them the law, and he tells them how to live and how to relate to God And what kind of amazing blessings they'll experience if they just stink and do what they're supposed to do. And what kind of curses and punishment they'll have to experience if they disobey. And then they cross the, what river? The Jordan River into the promised land, don't they? This is the land that God was going to give them, and they are going to be able to build the temple, and they were going to show all the nations who had been scattered since the Tower of Babel, all the nations were going to be able to see because of Israel's example how to relate to God and worship him rightly and how to love one another's, love their neighbor and treat them with justice. And how does that go? 
Yeah, there's a little bit of ups and downs, right? And then it's mostly downs, and then they're punished, right? And what is Israel's punishment for disobedience? We should all know this because of Daniel. Yeah, exile into, into Babylon. Just like the worst thing that could ever happen. And then there's a little bit of hope because... There's some people that are going to be able to go back and rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so some people go back. It goes real bad for them. Everything falls apart. And that is essentially how the story ends of the Old Testament. So what do we have? Old Testament, we have at creation, what do we have? Hope. Then what? Failure. Then what? Hope. <laughs> then, failure. Then, the exodus, we have hope. Then we have failure. Oops, spelled it wrong. No offense to anyone named hope, by the way. Hope and failure and hope and failure and hope and failure. And then they cross the Jordan and there's hope. And then there's like epic Failure, right? This is the story of the Old Testament. You ever wonder, what do I, why do I have the Old Testament? It tells you this story. And there's a whole lot more in there. But this is the storyline of the Old Testament. Hope, followed by failure, followed by hope, more hope, followed by more failure, followed by more hope, etc., etc., until we get to the end and it's just a complete and utter disaster. And so now, here we go. The Gospel of Matthew, what do we have? Another Genesis, which brings with it, somebody said, hope. We have the Holy Spirit involved in a supernatural act of creation in the most like, unlikely of all places. You see that? You see why the virgin birth is actually really important? Life would not have been created there if not for an act of the Holy Spirit, just like life would not have been created in Genesis 1-1 if not an act of the Holy Spirit. We learn that a baby is going to be born. What's that baby's name going to be? Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? We should all get this one, Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus. Jesus comes from the name Yeshua, which is shortened from Yehoshua, which means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Wait a second. Okay, you got to stick with me here. Wait a second. Why would the child's name be God saves if the child is going to do the saving. You see why that's a little bit strange? What's happening? Who's going to do the saving? Is God going to do the saving or is the child going to do the saving? This makes no sense already in Matthew chapter 1 if God was not about to do something that had never been done before. Let's move on. Jesus is born. Matthew chapter 2 introduces us some new characters. Who are those new characters? In Matthew chapter 2. <laughs> Wise men, right? And Herod? I'm starting to lose you. 
Who are the new, the new characters? The wise men? What do the wise men, they go to Herod, and what do they say? Something kind of dumb. They're, it was not very wise. They ask the king where the king is, right? This is not a way to, uh, that's not, it's not what you should say to a king. Hey, excuse me, king, where's the real king? We'd like to go worship him. That's going to make the king a little bit upset. See that now. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Right? Herod doesn't feel good about that. He feels threatened. So what does he order to happen? Call the babies. baby boys but there's one who escapes what's his name Jesus I'm starting to get deja vu a little bit I don't know about you but maybe it's a coincidence right well let's see so they escape, they run away where? Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to where? Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So we have an escape to Egypt. And they come back. It's a new exodus. Maybe it's still a coincidence. Maybe not. Let's see. What happens after that? Jesus is baptized. We have John the Baptist come on the scene, and then Jesus is baptized. Where's Jesus baptized? Oh, wow, that's interesting. The Jordan River. Okay? It's a little bit out of order. I don't know. What happens after Jesus is baptized? Where does he go? The wilderness. Okay, but how long? 40 days. Huh. And then Jesus succeeds in the wilderness. And he comes back, and what does he immediately begin doing? Teaching. <laughs> a new kind of law, a law that has everything to do with your heart. Do you see what Matthew is doing <laughs> In the first however many chapters of this book, what is he doing? This is very intentional. He's trying his best to put a neon flashing sign. I don't know if you've ever seen this or not. It's easy to miss it. But he's trying his best to put this flashing sign in front of us to say Jesus is reliving the story of Israel, but with one major difference, without all the failure. He's doing all these things again. It's a success story. Israel failed over and over and over again, but Jesus succeeded. What Matthew's saying is Jesus is hitting a reset button on the story of Israel, and he's rewriting it. This is cool, right? Did you know that 
this was happening in your Bibles? Like, this is really cool. There's stuff like this all over in your Bible. So I love God's word. It's amazing. You might think, okay, that's cool. That's neat. You got to wheel your whiteboard out here and show us all the connections. Pastor Mike, good for you. But uh, what on earth does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Everything. I had a, a really cool opportunity this week. I, I've shared with you, we got this new dog. Uh, his name's Freddie, Freddie Free Dog, named after Freddie Friedman, of formerly of the Atlanta Braves. He's a Dodger now. We won't talk about it. And uh, it's just a little fluff ball. And, and uh, I was taking him on a walk this week, and, uh, and I was walking by somebody's house, and the people that were there uh, stopped me, and they had a dog that's very similar to, to Freddie, and so they just wanted to talk about the dog. And, and then they knew that I was a pastor, and so they asked the question, and they asked this really amazing question. Well they, well, they asked, like, hey, we're just wondering, like, could we come to your church? Would we be welcome at your church? Says, of course. <laughs> I'd love for you to come to our church, right? You don't want to mess that one up as a pastor. It's like, yeah, of course, you're more than welcome to come to our church. But as we were kind of talking, the, the conversation started to, to shift. And they started sharing with me that because of some things that had happened in their life and some decisions that they had made in the past, uh, that they'd come to believe that there was nothing that they could do to get right with God anymore. Essentially, that's what they believed. And so they asked me, like, is that true? Is it too late? Can God f- forgive us? Or have we, have we blown it? What a question, right? That's such a good question. Because it goes back to this. See, this is not just a story about Israel. It's not just a history lesson. God does, doesn't just give us the story of Israel in the Old Testament so we can kind of say, wow, look at those guys. Look at how they messed it up. This is your story. This is the story of mankind. That left to your own devices, while you may have glimpses of hope in your life to make things right, if it's up to you and you alone, what's going to happen? Failure every single time. It's like the, the story of the Christmas carol, right? It's the, the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future. Like, this is what your life was and is and will be right here. And so often, we confuse the gospel and we think that the gospel is simply Jesus giving us one more chance at hope and we better not mess it up. That's not the gospel. What's The gospel, the gospel is this, that Jesus came to rewrite your story and make it all right again. See what Jesus does? He erases this. It's gone. Your Stories of failure mixed with another chance, mixed with more failure, mixed with another chance, which with more failure. Without divine intervention from Jesus, Yahweh saves, you'd have more chances of failure. God used all these righteous men, right, up here, quote-unquote righteous, and they mess it up every time. Who do we need? We need a Jesus because God will save his people from their sins. Praise God for the gospel, Amen. The gospel is not a chance of hope. 
that I might get it right this time. Oh, good, I get one more chance. The gospel is recognition. I'm always going to mess it up every single time. You feel like your life's falling apart right now? Maybe? Guess what? Jesus promised if you follow him, he's going to fix it. That's discipleship. So it's not only just erasing this. It's rebuilding it based on his righteousness. You follow him. You seek after him. He's going to fix it. What did Jesus say? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So you go back to my conversation with, with these people outside of their house. And I've shared with you in the past, I've really messed up some evangelism opportunities that the Lord just teed up and, and placed in my, my lap. Thankfully, I didn't mess this one up. I almost couldn't, right? Can we be saved? Yes. Dear friend, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, if you have not been saved, you need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he is the only one who can get you out of this hope, failure, hope, failure, hope, failure cycle. Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you're following Jesus, but you're forgetting what the gospel does for you. Maybe you're just taking on all sorts of shame and guilt and feeling like I just keep messing it up. Certainly God doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. He gave me my chance and I blew it. That is not the gospel. Well, follow Jesus. It's the best news that there is. We're going to learn more about that Jesus a lot more over the coming months. And I'm so excited because he's the one who rewrites your story. And so as we learn about Jesus, we're going to learn about ourselves and who we are and how we're called to follow him. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We urge you, if you haven't done that, to humble yourself, confess your sin to the Lord, and follow Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, keep following, keep pressing on, keep pressing into him. Seek him in his word. Train your senses, right? I'm going to think about Jesus as I inhale deeply, trying to rewire my brain and my soul to love him more. I'm going to do, put in the work to know him more. Not to earn it, because that's still the hope failure cycle. But because of what he's done, now I'm going to give up everything that I have and say it's worth nothing compared to following him. Follow Jesus. It's the best thing you can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for Jesus Thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. He didn't just come to give us another chance because if he did, we would all messed it up again. He came to give us new life. He came to give us a new heart. He came to be righteous in a way and defeat sin and defeat temptation in a way that none of us can and could. He came that we might be saved he came to give us his spirit that we can be called saints. Follow after him. God, we thank you. We praise you for Jesus. Help us to want, to want, to follow him more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.